Good morning and welcome to Worship at Pleasant Street Christian Reformed Church. It's good to see all of you. Uh, welcome to those of you here in the room, the warm room with us this morning. Welcome to those of you joining us, hopefully in air conditioning, uh, either in your car or at your home uh, online. Uh, we are a church that gathers in multiple ways today, and we're going to turn the volume up just a little bit to compensate for the fans. I'm not yelling, just trying to make sure we can hear each other. Uh, so forgive the increase in volume, everyone. Uh, my name is Matthew. I'm the pastor here on behalf of all of us. Uh, welcome. Glad that you could be with us in worship today. It is my practice and hope here to be warmer than the rest of us, which is why I wear this, right? So that you know you are at least more comfortable than me, right? Suff suffering for the gospel. So anyway, um, it is air conditioning over there, and we'll try to get you back there for fellowship and for coffee and conversation uh, after we uh, conclude our time of worship together. But before we do that, I want to highlight a couple of announcements for you as we get started. Uh, the first, I'm going to need some help from a friend of mine, uh, Miss Kate Martinka, and uh, I'm going to let her take it from there as she gives us an announcement about Vacation Bible School. Good morning. So, as you know, I'm the director of children's ministries, but I wear another hat as well. I am the director of the Northbridge Association of Churches Vacation Bible School, and we need more help. We have lots of you, many of you I see that are here are already volunteering with the Vacation Bible School. I assure you it is the best week of the summer. It is so awesome. Um, right now we have as many kids signed up. I wish I had the, the number in my head at the moment, but we have as many kids signed up already this year as attended last year. So that's exciting. So we know we have at, at least that many kids. So, um, And just this morning, I saw more registrations coming in. So that means we need you. And so I would like to um, give you some specifics about what type of roles you could come and do at Vacation Bible School. Um, we need about six more group guides. Those are people who bring the kids around to all the different stations. We need some more volunteers helping with games, Bible story, and science. We already have the main leader for those groups, but we need some more people on board with those. Um, we could use one more person up in the booth there doing sound and slides um, for the opening and closing for music. And um, that's a fun job for teens, and I assure you it's super fun and um, pretty simple, especially for a teen to jump in there and try that. Um, we could use somebody to walk around the building and take pictures all week. We could use two people in the nursery. And we could use somebody to be the puppet. Now, this is a really important role because you have to keep your identity a secret all week and it will not be revealed until the very end. Um, that role this year has minimal lines, so you can kind of pop in and out at different stations or at the beginning and the end, and it's not a lot of rehearsal for that puppet role, but you have to keep your identity a secret. So if you're interested, make sure nobody knows you're interested but me. So thank you. Um, oh, and if you uh, want to come see me if you're interested in volunteering, or you could email northbridgevbs at gmail.com. Thank you. Could you remind us, when is Vacation Bible School? Um, Vacation Bible School is July 10th through the 14th, so it's coming up really soon. Yep, and where is it? 
It is here. It's right here, yeah. Yep, July it's 10th. in our building here. Wonderful. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Uh, speaking of volunteers, one other thing that I want to highlight for you that didn't get its way into the bulletin is Camp Chilhaven, which is a summer camp down in Douglas, is uh, in desperate need of volunteers. This is a theme that we are hearing. Uh, they're on the verge of not being able to open for the summer, in fact. It's, it's sort of that dire. Um, so I understand that there is an age minimum of 18. There is no age maximum, as far as I understand it. But if you are 18 years or older and you're looking for something to do this summer, uh, this is something that we'd like you to consider uh, bringing to God in prayer to see if you can help. If you don't know what Camp Chilhaven is or you want to know more, I'm going to ask uh, Mr. Scott and Ms. Karen right there to raise their hands. You can talk to either of these fine folks and they can tell you more about ways that you could help or participate. And if you know Ann Rune who directs it, uh, you could also contact her as well. Finally, one last thing. Um, next Sunday, uh, we have a wedding here at Pleasant Street after church. And uh, it's been a while. It's very exciting for us. One of the things that that will mean, though, is that rather than doing coffee after worship, we're going to do coffee before worship so that we have time to turn over the sanctuary and get ready for that. So next Sunday, come early. It will be cooler, which makes sense to drink hot coffee anyway, right? So uh, you can come as early as 8.30 if you want and get a cup of coffee and fellowship and join us here for that next Sunday. My friends, gathered here, we didn't come just to hear community announcements, but in fact to worship God in his presence together. And we do that in word and in song and also in partaking in communion together. Would you rise in body and spirit? Let's worship. Good morning, everybody. The Lord be with you. Also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift up our hearts. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works, he who looks on at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord, but may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Let's worship the king. Tell of it. 
Friends, you may be seated. We have a good, good Father. We come before our God not as despised sinners, but as beloved children. With the confidence of children of God, let's humbly confess our, ten- our sins together. Merciful God, we count on your mercy for ourselves, yet expect you to punish others for their wickedness. We serve you in faith, but when others don't, we forget the joy of doing your work. We say we will live to serve others, but end up meeting only our needs. We confess our sinfulness, our shortcomings, and our offenses against you. Creating us clean heart and renew the right spirit within us. Restore to us the joy of salvation and sustain us with your spirit, Jesus Christ. Now let's take a moment with these words of this, this confession and bring it to God. When we confess our sins to God, God gives us an assurance. The good news of the gospel is that in Christ we are forgiven. With joy we can all exclaim, the good news of the gospel in Christ we are forgiven. Christ has set you free from the law of sin and death. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. God embraces you, forgives you, and strengthens you to live a renewed life. And we can respond to this assurance with our morning offerings. I invite the deacons to come up now. They'll be passing the baskets around. You can also give online. I'd like to offer a prayer for us this morning. Father, everything we have comes from you. You fill us with good things. Our hearts and our lives overflow with your abundance. With thanksgiving, we bring you our time, our talents, and our tithes this morning, Lord. Use these gifts that you have given us to feed others as we have been fed, to serve others as we have been served, and to bless others as as we have been blessed. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.
church friends we hear this good news God makes peace with us and we have a chance now to spread that peace with our neighbors so friends look around these are your brothers and sisters in Christ let's pass that peace the peace of Christ is with you the Kids Street kids up here, please. <laughs> People of God, what is our prayer? Lord, continue to show us your wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Lord, we live with you. Go in peace to love and serve Jesus. Good morning. Uh, when we come to church together, we follow rhythms and habits that we do each and every week. One of those is that we take a moment in our service to pause and to turn our eyes upward and to lift up prayers to God, things that arise from needs that we know in our community and the wider community around us. Um, I was reminded recently that uh, when babies smile, um, they don't do this because they're happy, right? I hate to break it to you, all those who are, you know, with babies in your lives. This, you know, it's heartbreaking to me to realize when my kids were little, they weren't, they weren't smiling at me because they were happy to see me. They were smiling because it's a, it's a mimic response, Babies emulate the, the response that they see from the person who look at them the most. And in a way, our prayers are like that too. The things that we really believe about God come out in the kinds of things that we say in a moment like this which is why we practice doing this together. We all pray in our own lives, right? But we also take time publicly together to offer prayers together because it, it helps us together to remember and to really believe and to live into the things that we have just said about God and sung together, that He is a good Father, um, that we are His beloved children, and that He has forgiven us of all our sins. So in that gospel hope, friends, would you pray with me? I want to use words from a woman named Christine Longhurst who first wrote and framed this prayer, and I've adapted it for our purposes here. Let's pray together. God, like the Israelites in the wilderness, we too have known your love and experienced your care and provision. You call us to extend your love to the world around us, to care for others as though we were caring for ourselves. And so we bring 
to you now the needs of our world. And we ask in your mercy that you would hear our prayers. We pray for those who do not have enough of what they need to survive. Those without enough food to eat or shelter to keep them warm. Those without meaningful employment or enough money to pay their bills. Those without access to medical care or medicine to keep them healthy and care for those in their care. We think especially this morning of war-torn and tense places like Ukraine and like now Russia in the middle of a coup. When there is war, we remember that it is the vulnerable who suffer. And so we lift up to you now mothers and children, the old and the ill and the weak in these kinds of places. We think also of refugees who lost their lives and loved ones after the sinking of a fishing trawler off the coast of Greece this week. We ask that you would take notice of them, O Lord, that you would be their shelter and their strength and their support. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray for those who have more than enough to meet their needs, but who somehow continue to feel empty inside who struggle to find meaning and purpose in life, and who turn to alcohol or drugs or other destructive behaviors to try and hide the pain, those who entertain dark thoughts in despair. We think this morning of the families of those who lost loved ones in the Titan sub sinking this week. Even though those people had the means for expensive adventure travel, those means could not prevent them from experiencing death. And so we ask that you would take note of them as well, O Lord, and that you would comfort them in their sorrow and lift them up in the good news of the gospel. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We bring to you this morning those who are struggling physically, who are battling life-threatening disease or injury or healing from sickness or experiencing treatment from cancer. We think of Jack and Hank specifically. We lift up to you also those who live with chronic pain, those who are coping with words like dementia or Parkinson's, for those who face death in many different forms. We lift up to you those this morning whom we haven't seen in a while, but who are very much still part of our church family. We think of Arthur H., and Arthur W., and Henrietta, and Theona, and Winifred, and Mike, and Carol. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. God of the first and the last and all those in between, we remember this morning that your grace reaches out to all of us, rescuing us from grief and sorrow and despair and selfishness and all that our sins have wrought. Redeemed, you now call us to live as citizens of heaven and to work together with one mind and one purpose to have the mind of Christ and to imitate him in our lives with each other in self-emptying love. We lift up to you, Angie and Zach, as they get ready to join their lives together in vows of other-centered, self-emptying love, something we call marriage. Lord, fill them up with the knowledge of your love, that they might abound with love for each other. And strengthen us 
so that we too might live in a manner worthy of the good news we have received, offering our lives to the building up of your upside-down kingdom, where the last are first and the first are last, and there is grace enough for all. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord, we pray. Amen. I had a bit of a roster change this morning, and so it's still me. And uh, this morning, the Lord speaks to us in a new series of sermons that we'll be looking at throughout the summer from the book of Philippians. God's Word comes to us this morning from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Paul and Timothy servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Friends, this is God's Word. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you have made yourself to be ours. So now show yourself to us in your wisdom, in your goodness, in your power, so that we might walk faithfully in the Christian life. In order to do this, we need much grace. And so we ask that you would give us the supply that we need out of your abundance store. We need wisdom, Lord, to move through life without harming or offending others. So now equip us with your spirit to do that. We need patience and comfort. And so, God of all comfort and consolation, we ask that you would bestow it upon us for Christ's sake, in whose name we pray. Amen. When Martin Dumont left for college, one of the first things that he did was find a church. 
The year was 1545, and Martin had left his home and family in Antwerp to start university studies in Strasbourg, which is in modern-day France. Martin was a French-speaking Protestant, and so he chose a French Reformed church in the city where he was going to school, a church where, in fact, John Calvin himself, the one and only, had been the pastor just a few years before. His church that he chose was full of refugees and exiles. You see, at the time, Europe was engulfed in a conflict, in a war, and part of that involved the conflict between Catholic and Protestant visions of Christianity. Many of the people in Strasbourg were Protestant exiles, people who had been cast from their home countries because of their beliefs in the Protestant movement. And so Martin himself was one of these people. Antwerp was a Catholic place, and he had gone to Strasbourg to be able to study freely. And Martin writes home to his parents in Antwerp to tell them, not about the laundry, but about his church. And he writes to them that in his church there are people like him who have come from all other countries in Europe. Many of them have fled their home countries in order to worship, and he writes this to his parents. He says, for the first five or six times when I came to church here and and saw other people longing for the gospel like me, I began to weep, not out of sadness, but out of joy. No one can fathom the joy of singing the praises and marvels of God in your own language like we do here. You see, in that church on Sundays, they sang psalms and they offered prayers for each other. Revolutionary as it was to them, the pastor would actually face the people. And he would pray for them in the language that they spoke. And he spoke loud enough and clearly enough that people could actually hear what he was saying. And then the pastor would preach from 7.30 in the morning to 9 a.m. Sermons that were wonderful to hear. I don't think we're going to go that long, don't worry. Friends, I was reading this book recently in which this story about Martin Dumont was told, and maybe it's just me, but how often in your lives do you hear a testimony, a story about how much church is a source of joy? That's what Martin Dumont thought was worth writing home about to his parents. That was one of the first things that seemed worth saying, that the sermons and the sung psalms and the fellowship with people who came from all over the, uh, Europe to worship and share in the gospel, that this gave him the most profound sense of joy as a college student that he had ever experienced. In a time when he was lost and confused and a stranger in a strange land, church was a source in Martin's life of joy. And believe it or not, Martin is not the only or the first person that you have heard today telling such a story or writing a letter about it. In fact, Paul has more or less said the same thing to us already in a letter that he wrote 1,500 years before to the very first church in all of Europe, the Philippian church. And Paul says, I thank my God when I think of all of you, and I pray always with joy because of you. When I think of you, Philippians, Paul says, your church is a source of joy. Now, what we should know or remember in case we've forgotten or didn't understand is that when Paul writes these words, he is in prison. 
He is confined and he is restrained from proclaiming the gospel openly, which is what he likes to do. His life is, in fact, hanging in the balance on a meeting with the emperor in Rome. Maybe he hasn't had a good meal in a while. And yet, when Paul sets down words to Quill, what he says is this, whenever I think of you lying on my bed under house arrest in this room, I give thanks. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. 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 Joy, which which is a key word in this letter back to the folks at home from Paul who is in prison, lying on his bed, daydreaming about church. A church that is for Paul a source of perpetual joy. This summer, we aim to tap into at least for a little while, this effervescent, bubbling source of joy flowing from Paul's prison cell and his pen. This summer, we are going to set before us the weighty theological concept of joy. What? What did he just say? Joy isn't theological. Joy is a bumper sticker, right? Joy is is the provenance of self-help books and Oprah. How can we talk about joy when the world is so full of sadness? How in the same week when a submersible sinks and hundreds of refugees lose their lives, when our denomination is grappling with weighty matters that we don't even fully understand yet, is not joy just a bit tone deaf? It could be that joy doesn't in fact seem like what we need at all. The world is a serious place. I have been known in the past to be an overly serious person. Maybe we're in need of serious answers. Then again, no less a theologian than Karl Barth himself once said this, joy is the simplest form of gratitude. And Barth, of course, could see that the profoundest theological significance of joy is a way of embodying gratitude. And gratitude is nothing short than the entire way of summing up everything of what it means to be a Christian. In other words, joy is a key characteristic of the Christian life. It is part of the DNA of God's redeemed people. And it is a theme scattered throughout this letter to the Philippians, punctuating its sentences like stars twinkling in the night sky. What is it that gives Paul all of this joy It's church. Church gives him joy. When Paul thinks about this church, when he daydreams about this church lying on his bed under house arrest in Rome, it fills him with joy. Paul exudes joy in his expressions of love for this church. I have you in my heart, Paul writes. You and I share together in the grace of God. God himself is witness to how much I long for all of you. It's the same kind of longing that God has for us in Jesus. Is this how you experience church? When we stand in line at the grocery store or find ourselves waiting for a bus or at a traffic light or in the elevator, when we are on hold in the phone, do we daydream about church? 
Does it fill us with joy? I'm going to hazard a guess that for many of us, church is not this kind of source of joy. More often, church is a reminder of our contradictions, of our failure, of our inadequacy. You know, after the pandemic that all of us are still emerging from, there was a lot of conversation about online church. Maybe you heard some of this. Should churches have online presences or not? Is it good or is it bad? Does it extend the gospel's reach or does it enable laziness? This was the conversation. We were worried that many people weren't coming back to church or quickly enough. And I wonder, though, if we ever paused for a moment to ask ourselves, why have they stopped coming in the first place? Have you seen any news articles about church in the West in the last few years? The headlines bear witness to the failures and folly of Christians. We have not been a source of joy to each other or to the world. My friends, church is why people don't go to church. I love the way that Jeff White, a pastor in New York, put it one time in a sermon. He said that church is a hospital for sinners. Yes. And people on the outside of church sometimes expect us to be sinless people, which is not, in fact, the case. The very point of church is that you only get in if you are a sinner. Right. But the thing about recovering sinners in a hospital is that the patients infect each other with diseases. And they shoot each other from their convalescent and wounded beds. And Paul finds joy in church. Church is not a place where our flawless moral performances are on display for each other. Church is a place where we all come to understand just how desperately in need of renovation we are. Which is why each week we confess our sins. Have you noticed this? It never goes away. Every week you come back, the same thing happens. One of the things that this is meant to do is to help us to realize that all of us speak for things that we don't fully believe, much less fully practice. A pastor gets a phone call from a friend, and they haven't spoken in six months, not because of anything intentional, just because life. He takes the call, and the friend starts in right away. He says, I'm sorry to drop this on you out of the blue, but I've been seeing this girl, and last night I spent the night with her, and I know I shouldn't have done that. And this morning I'm lying in bed staring up at the ceiling, and I'm thinking, why is it that I believe certain things with my mind and other things with my behavior? How do I get the things that I believe about God and who He is into my bones? How do I get them lived? Question could be our question too, even if the circumstances are different. How do we get the things that we believe about God into our bones? How do we get it lived? And like this young man on the phone with his pastor, we too at times are painfully aware of how inconsistent we are, how far we have yet to go until it could be said of us that we are anything like Jesus. And my friends, this is what steals our joy. We are not who we ought to be. You know what church 
does, among other things. Church reminds us that we are all in the middle of a story. And if you've ever read any of the great stories, you know that joy is easy to find at the beginning of the story when the hero starts out, and it's there at the end after everything sad is coming untrue, but it's not so much easy to find in the middle. But did you notice in these verses that both Paul and the Philippians are in the middle of the story? Paul writes about joy, but my friends, Paul is in chains. He writes about joy that he takes in this church, but this church is being persecuted. He writes about his overflowing love for them and his confidence in what is happening in their lives. But just now, the Philippians are embroiled in a church conflict between two key leaders in their congregation that is threatening to tear the church apart. Well, how can this be? The Philippians are very much in the middle of the story, and so is Paul. And yet, when he thinks of them staring up at the ceiling, lying in his bed, it fills him with joy. What does this mean? Well, one of the things it means for us is that the source of joy in our lives isn't our own faithfulness. It can't be, because we are inconsistent people. It also means that the source of joy in our lives isn't things going well for us. We can't control the weather, much less the future. So, so if there is joy to be had in the Christian life, it cannot come from us. And it cannot come from anything that we can do, which means that it must come from God. Which is where Paul starts his letter. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, grace and peace to you. What business can Paul possibly have calling these folks holy when they are clearly people who are still stuck somewhere in the middle between where they were and where they need to be? Where does Paul get off saying this to people who believe and yet don't really fully believe? People who show forth the good news of the gospel in both fits and starts. How can this church be said to fill Paul with joy when there's such a mixed bag? Because that's not what makes him holy. When Paul calls the Philippian Christians saints, he doesn't mean that they are morally perfect people who have somehow arrived at a level of sanctification. To be a saint in the Bible doesn't mean to be a person without sin. To be a saint is to be a person who has been claimed by the holiness and perfection of God. To be holy is to be someone who has been set apart by God and for God. To be holy is to be someone who has received grace and peace from God our Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is God's work. And so what gives Paul joy in daydreaming about this church is not that they are flawless, but that God is good. For hearing about the Philippian Christians has reminded Paul lying on his bed staring up at the ceiling that God has in fact begun good work in their lives. That God really has claimed them for themselves. That God has made them somehow different than they were. They believe that Jesus really is who he said he is. That's the only reason they got into this whole church business in the first place. And they have worked faithfully with Paul in support of this gospel. They were there right 
from the very beginning. In all of my prayers for all of you, Paul writes, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. What fills Paul with joy in remembering this church is what they share. They share in something much bigger than themselves. They share in the very heart of God's purposes through the death and resurrection of Jesus. They are partners in God's promises to rescue the world. Promises made at the beginning of the world, which have now been bestowed upon them as well. And so here in the middle, Paul is in chains and they are struggling. They are in the middle of the story. But what makes Paul so confident confident enough to pray joy over them, is that God finishes what he starts. I am confident, Paul writes, that God who began this good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. My friends, if a doctor only put a new heart in a transplant patient, but didn't connect any blood vessels, just dropped the heart right in there and sewed the person back up again, would we call this person a good doctor? If a gardener who helped a seed sprout into a little tiny plant then stuck it in a closet and stopped watering it, would we call this person a good gardener? What about a builder who only frames out a room and then calls it a house? Or a mechanic who only finger tightens bolts on a screw thread? These are not good doctors or gardeners or builders or mechanics. So why would we ever assume anything less of God? God is a better doctor to us than the best. Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit doesn't just give us a new heart, but cleanses us from all the cancer of sin and renews our whole body to health that we did not even know we had anymore. And he gardens the soil of our hearts until we start to sprout the fruits of righteousness. He is the builder and the architect who is laying the foundation for the most incredible and well-designed kingdom and world ever. And all of this because God finishes what he starts. All of this because God is revealing his glory and teaching us how to praise him for it even in the middle. My friends, Paul in this letter does not want us to get our lives together so that we can be worthy of being called saints. He wants us to know that we have been called saints because Christ is worthy and that God has far more in store for us than merely getting us to comply or to fall in line. God, in fact, wants us to be overwhelmed and overflowed with an awareness of God's love and the truth of who God really is, which is what he prays for. Paul's greatest hope and joy for this church is not that they would work harder or get it together or be better, but that they in the depths of their very being would live outwardly today as though it is really true that God loves them. For this is what God has done for us. Jesus, our great high priest, as the letter to the Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him saw what it was going to cost to rescue us and scorned the shame and picked up the cross and carried it and died on it so that we could live, live 
in plenty and in want, in good times and lean ones, in chains or in freedom, in the joy of God who has spared no expense on your behalf. What do we call that? Paul called it joy. And this is the place where sometimes we see it best. Which is how we too could be a church that is a source of joy to each other and the world. For in this place, we can remind each other here in the middle of the story that because of the gospel, we are not who we used to be. Even as Christ by his supper reminds us now of where we are headed. We are headed to a place where everything is whole and holy, and one day we will be too. And today Christ gives us the strength and bread and wine to take another step there. For at this table, we don't come because we're perfect. This table is not meant for the competent or the successful, for the beautiful or the powerful. It's not meant for the lucky or the noble or the well-bred. It is meant for those who know they are not what they ought to be, that they are not who they were created to be, that they are in fact sinners who come anyway. We come to this table not because we are worthy, but because Christ is. Not because we are perfect, but because He is. Not because we earned it, but because we are called, called to be saints by God. And now, my friends, the weak and the broken and the lost can say that they are strong, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we hear Paul's prayer, and by your Spirit, we trust that somehow he is also praying it over us. And so we ask that with these words, that it would be true that we as a church would abound more and more in the knowledge and the awareness of the love of God. And that this knowledge and awareness of who you are would be like an unshakable grip upon us, preserving us and keeping us safe until Jesus comes back and changing us even now into people who are gradually growing up into Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. Having gathered here, the Lord meets us not just with a promise, but with a meal. The elders of our church have been at work behind the scenes preparing these elements for us, and that is a reminder to all of us that not just them, but God himself has done everything necessary to set this table for us, even giving us the ears to hear his voice calling to us now. And so friends, would you join me in this prayer as we prepare our hearts and our bodies and our minds and our spirits to receive this meal? Friends, the Lord be with you. We lift up our hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. We magnify your name, Lord God, for the holy extravagance of your salvation. Worthy are you to whom we bow. For in your Son you have knelt before us in humility. 
You have looked with favor upon your servant Israel. You have scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. You have lifted up the lowly. Your son, though of the same love and same mind as you, did not regard equality with you as something to be used to his advantage, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. Being born in human likeness, he humbled himself even unto death on a cross. And you lifted him up in resurrection glory and exalted him to your right hand on high. And so, on bended knee, we confess him as Lord together now, with angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, proclaiming together with one voice, Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Revealing God, make your joy complete by uniting those who share this meal with the same mind that was in Christ Jesus. As we remember his saving mercies, make us to be of the same love, the same heart, sharing the same spirit. Send down your Holy Spirit that these offerings of bread and wine may be for us the body and blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, who at supper with his disciples, gave us this memorial of his sacrifice until he comes again. On the night of his arrest, before he suffered, the Lord Jesus took bread, and after giving thanks to God, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, and after giving thanks to God, he gave it to them, saying, this cup, is the new covenant which is sealed in my blood and poured out for you and for many. Whenever you drink it, do this to remember me. For friends, whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we together proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Incarnate God, you met us in the body and blood of your Son, Jesus, and you meet us now in the bread and wine we see on this table and take in our hands. Show us your face and the face of one another in the life of your church, that we, your people, may be taken by you and given for the life of the world. Through this sacrament of thanks and praise and joy, Inscribe your church into the life of your Trinity, that we might have the creativity of the Father and the passion of the Son and the empowerment of your Spirit. Empty your church, Lord Jesus, of all that obscures our witness to the cross and make us ready for that one eternal day when we shall kneel around your throne in joy and wonder, together with prophets and apostles and all the saints in the company of Jesus, our Lord, giving all praise and glory to you, God our Father, forever and ever. Amen. Congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord has prepared this table for all those who love him and trust in him alone for their salvation. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who are sorry for their sins and who desire to live in obedience to him are invited to come now with gladness 
to the table of the Lord, for these, my friends, are the gifts of God for the people of God. This month, we're going to practice again a format for communion we did last month. I want to invite our elders to come forward. We're going to have some stations on each side of the, of the sanctuary here. We'll invite you to make a line and come forward. We also have a gluten-free option for those who would prefer that. And finally, if you are unable to come to us, we will come to you with elements uh, one of our elders has as well. Friends, let's share this meal together.
brothers and sisters, fed, strengthened for the next step here in the middle, would you rise in body and spirit and receive God's blessing, his benediction? Friends, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you his peace. Amen. Let's go singing.
friends, go now in love, peace, and joy to serve Jesus Christ.